Hey, Effers, on today's episode of Football and Other F-Words, we talk about that Denver Broncos game, everything else that happened in the NFL, and also previewing the Jacksonville Jaguars. Time to get effed. Broadway Sports Media. I hate Corey Davis. Corey Davis is going to be awful. He's probably going to be out for the year. I am your host, Michael Gillum. I can be found on Twitter at Mr. Lebowski. I am joined, as always, by Zach Lyons. He can be found at F-Words Pod and Michael Herndon. You can find him at Mike Miracles. We are brought to you by BroadwaySportsMedia.com. We're currently running a 30% off uh, special. That's promo code KICKOFF30 to get that special, KICKOFF30. You can read articles by mentioned Mike Herndon, John Glennon, and many more, broadwaysportsmedia.com. Go sign up now. Gentlemen, how are we doing? Very tired as we record this. Uh, we, for the Monday night football game, if the NFL ever puts a team that resides in the central time zone, that is the Tennessee Titans, at that second Monday night football game ever again, I don't know what I'm going to do, probably besides watch the game, but I'm going to complain really loud and a lot. It, it was rough. I, 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 I don't know why they don't just put two West Coast teams in that game. I, it's, it makes no sense, especially, I mean, the Titans footprint, you know, you extended into Chattanooga and Knoxville. That's Eastern time. Those poor guys were up till 1.30, 2 o'clock in the morning trying to watch the end of this thing. That's just ridiculous. And I know that I know that ESPN and the NFL are trying to capitalize on this opening celebratory week of football. They've been doing it the last several seasons where they throw a doubleheader on Monday night. I actually don't like the doubleheader on Monday night. And I got to think that a lot of your fan base doesn't like it either because the East Coast, who didn't who on the East Coast stayed tuned in to that game until probably nearly two AM? There's no nobody. way. I mean nobody. Because that was that was ugly. That was a horrendously ugly game in, in Denver. Titans came out real, real sloppy. Let's start with the obvious, um, the kicking game. What kind of sacrifice does this team have to make to get a person to slink, swing their leg front to back, kick a football through the uprights correctly, and not have to deal with this in 2020? Uh it- They should have probably kept Greg Joseph. Like, I don't understand what – Steven Guskowski showed you in limited, we're talking very limited time, that he is better than Greg Joseph's. It smells a little bit like some Patriots nepotism, and I'm not accusing or saying that this is 100% correct or anything like that, but that's kind of what it smells like. And I said on the, pod, on the podcast and the radio show last week, or it may have been two weeks ago when this all went down, that I wasn't sold on Steven Guskowski. Now, can he come back and and maybe be old Guskowski? It's possible. I wouldn't say it's probable, though. I am, and I like that he like went off to the sideline, took off a shoe like that was going to help, and even Keith Bullock made a comment about that, like, bro, it's not your shoe. I mean, hey, it did help. It did uh, help, though. Well, <laughs> I think being 25 yards out helped. I mean – Let's yeah. be honest, if we're all having to hold our breath for a 25-yard field goal because we have no clue that if he's going to make it or not, 
we're in a bad situation. At least with Greg Joseph, we knew that he's probably going to make a 25-yarder. I mean, it's it was bad. And not all – not every kick was on him. But I wouldn't say that he – showed me anything that instills me with confidence that our kicking woes are over. Yeah, it, it was rough. And you know, it's, it's problematic when I, I went to the uh, Mount Juliet Gallatin high school game uh, Friday night, and I had more confidence in Mount Juliet's kicker uh, when he would step up for a field goal attempt than I have for the Titans kicker in the past two years now. And that's ridiculous. I, I don't understand how, a team could possibly in 2020, 2019 go at eight of 21 for a stretch on field goals, <laughs> less than 40%. Most of your NFL teams are converting at over 80%. The Titans were half of that. It's, it's, unbelievably bad and and i don't know they need to go bring in an exorcist or just burn that room to the ground wherever they're uh holding their kicker meetings during the week at st thomas sports park but it's it's bad um and you hope guskowski can get it together because i think they're going to give him a chance but uh you know it, it, you're never going to really feel comfortable i don't think this year uh when the titans step up for a field goal attempt i think it's going to be white knuckle the whole way Gostowski had made a comment after the game of a reporter to ask him about removing the shoe. And, and I got to give, I got to laugh at him with this one. He said, I would have removed my pants if I thought it would work. And that's coming, coming from a family who had a, an NFL kicker in it. Uh, that's the absolute truth. I can tell you that kickers, a, they get in their own head. That's that's the loneliest position on the team because there's it's it's basically like a bad relationship. It's love or hate. There really is no in between. The kicker is the absolute best person on the team. As soon as they sink a great kick for you, the second they start to have a night like Gostowski was having, you got to get 30 feet away from everyone and sit down on the end of the bench and start removing clothing items. So uh, I I don't even know what to say. I'm at a loss for words with the Titans and and kickers. I just really hope that they find the Titans find a way to exercise those demons. It must be payback for all the years that we've had. Like only our only way to score was through field goals uh, for the longest time. It was like, it was, it was Rob Baronis, Gary Anderson, you know, all these great kickers. I guess it's just, you know, a little bit of karma for having too much good kicker luck for the past, you know, decade and a half. So the Titans, of course, do end up getting the win in a, in a very ugly game. <sighs> Speaking of ugly, Henry did crack 100 rushing yards. I believe the Titans are now 16-0 and when, Titan, when uh, Henry rushes for more than 100 yards. But I wager to say that might have been his ugliest 100-yard game in the NFL. I can't think of yeah, an uglier one absolutely. for sure. Absolutely. It, it was a – just in general, it was a extremely inefficient night for the Titans offense. I mean, they, they moved the ball, yes, but it was a grind the whole way. And give credit to the Broncos' defense. did really well last night uh, despite being without Vaughn Miller. Uh, and that – I don't think the – I don't think that's going to be a fluke. I think Denver's defense is good, and I think they're going to be good. Vic Fangio is one of the best defensive minds in football. Um, it's not shocking that it was a little bit of a slog for the Titans' offense in Denver. But, yeah, you, you would like to see that start to look better uh, moving forward. Yeah, as far as just specifically talking about Derrick Henry, uh, of course, you know, it's week one. 
I like to call it overreaction, uh, overreaction week because, I mean, you could see it all through the game on Twitter that the overreactions were just flowing. I mean, it got so bad that people overreacted so much that they had to delete tweets last night because we ended up winning the game and Derrick Henry ended up giving, getting over 100 yards. And Look, this offensive line just did not look good. I don't know what it is about week one, why this offensive line, who four out of the five have stayed with each other the whole time, or have continuity, and Dennis Kelly knows the offense, I don't understand why they can't come out week one and look like a dominant offensive line. And I'm not saying it's all this offensive line's fault. Derrick Henry was, I think, taking some cuts he shouldn't have and didn't have the vision he usually has. But And we'll get into this a little bit with A.J. Brown, too. I think it was the mixture of no preseason – a mixture with the uh, lack of um, the altitude and also the time. I mean, these players are not used to playing this late. And they traveled in on Sunday, if I'm not mistaken, which means they don't have a lot of time to adjust to the time zone, which I still don't understand if if you're doing a Monday night game or even a London game. Why not go early? Is that against the rules in the NFL? Get there really early. If it's against the rules, that's a stupid rule anyway. But you got to think these bodies have to have time to adjust. And they looked very um, between him and AJ Brown. They just didn't look themselves. So there's no cause for concern. But it it was definitely, I think, just a mix of the Denver game and the time and all that kind of stuff. The location and the time and lack of preseason. Yeah, I, I think that's all. Those are all fair points, and I, I do think there's a rule of, against traveling early uh, due to the COVID uh, protocols and stuff like that. I think they're pretty much locked in that they have to travel the day before uh, the game. Um, and frankly, from what I've read on altitude stuff, it sounds like uh, it wouldn't have done them a whole lot of good to get a day or two extra um, there. In fact, from what I've read, it. it makes it's usually better unless you're going to be able to get there about three weeks before the game to just go as late as possible to limit the exposure to the altitude um but yeah i mean the, we talked it we talked about it a little bit last week it's not a accident that the broncos are were 48 and 7 heading into this game in home games in the first two weeks of the season it's really hard to play in denver at altitude in the first two weeks while you're still getting your legs under you you're still not in nfl football game shape much less nfl football game shape at a mile above sea level um it's uh it's a different thing it definitely does have an effect you talk to any former player uh about what it's like to play there and they'll tell you it's you know it feels like somebody's standing on your chest the whole time you're gasping for air you're feeling like you just you're breathing normal but you can't get enough oxygen it's it's a different deal and and to we shouldn't undersell that uh angle of it and it's it was an ugly win but the titans going in and getting the win in denver i think it's a big big thing to come out of this thing i mean it didn't look great that you're not going to win any style points off this thing but at the end of the day it's one and oh and it's one and oh against a denver team that i think is going to be a pretty solid football team this year and playing in their place and in, in really adverse conditions I, I think 
I, I think you take it. I mean, at the end of the day, you're going to take the win. I think that's that's a great point, Mike. Is that honestly that Denver game is one of those that it, it, I think now in retrospect you can look at it and say you're happy to just get out of there with a win, move on. It's week two. It's a very strange adjustment this year in the NFL with no preseason and not not much of a real off season. Um, so last couple of things I wanted to get to. Uh, speaking of wide receivers, Corey Davis had himself a game. AJ Brown really never found a ri- rhythm. Khalif Raymond just didn't look like anything close to a wide receiver four. Um, just want to throw that back real quick. I, it, the dichotomy there. It, I, I'll start with Davis. I was really happy to start seeing the return of the Corey Davis revenge. And he was looking for Corey Davis, too. That's what was good because last last year, it, he wasn't really looking at Corey Davis. It was only A.J. Brown and Janu. This time, he was looking around the field a little bit more. And by he, I mean Ryan Tannehill. And, but he looked to be – it's like they game plan to look at Corey Davis first, and this was a specific Corey Davis game. If, that's what it felt like. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested to go back and take a look at uh, the All-22 tape when it comes out and see um, what exactly Denver was doing from a coverage standpoint. Were they shadowing A.J. Brown, trying to take him away intentionally, and Davis was just the uh, beneficiary of that, or um, was it just Davis winning his matchup more often? Um, you know, I thought Davis played fantastic. He uh, made some really nice contested catches, one really nice uh, sideline grab. He looked like a former fifth overall pick, honestly. Um, and, you know, Titans fans have, uh, you know, I think struggled with Davis for, for years because of the high expectations on him. And, and yes, he's given you some great blocking and, and everything like that, which is valuable. Um, but you always wanted more production from a pass catching standpoint. And I think, you know, if he can give you something close to this performance, even if he, it, you know, the, the targets start to sh- spread around more evenly with AJ Brown and uh, Johnny Smith and some of the other options, I think you'll take a, a performance like this, 10 times out of 10 with Corey Davis. And it's really encouraging to see him have that kind of night, especially when he was not a hundred percent heading into this game, he was dealing with a hamstring issue. And uh, even AJ Brown hinted at the fact that he was, uh, you know, probably a good bit less than a hundred percent health wise during the game. So that's, that's encouraging. So I'd be remiss, obviously, if I didn't mention two things. A, Simmons had himself a game, but B, Jarrell Casey actually proved to be a problem. Had a couple of bad passes. Uh, believe did he have a sack? Did Casey have a sack? Um, uh. But but he just it, Casey had himself a game, so he definitely made his presence known. But uh, how about Simmons? Wow. Yeah, Simmons was a beast, and he, I mean, him and Jadavion Clowney and even Harold Landry, for for us only having three offensive linebackers, and Kamale Correa, I, I can't get over just how disruptive those four guys actually were with limited snaps as far as uh, they, they – it was just them three as an offensive line backing core, and they were—they didn't look phased at all. They were energetic, and they were everywhere. And Jeffrey Simmons, a couple more games like that, and he'll be on the defensive player of the year uh, conversation for sure. Yeah, Simmons, Simmons is a stud, complete monster. Incredibly fun to watch because he can just physically ragdoll uh, interior offensive linemen, even even guys that are pretty pretty good like Dalton Risner. Um, but uh, Simmons is a lot of fun to watch, and I'm I'm excited to see where his season goes from here. And also want to touch on Clowney. Um, I thought his debut was really good. 
uh, especially early on, it felt like he was in the backfield constantly, uh, at least those first, uh, the first quarter, first half probably um, really causing disruption. I think he kind of wore down in the second half. Again, a lot of snaps at altitude, no training camp for him. Um, and, and with only three outside linebackers healthy, um, I, I think he wore down quite a bit. So you, you got to be encouraged by what you saw early on from Clowney, though. I think that's what you hope to see from him for the rest of the season. I want to touch on what Michael was just talking about with Clowney because I didn't want to leave that uh, off the end without finishing up. Clowney started all strong, but then I, I, admitted, I think he even admitted after the game that he was gassed and – you know, just got his pads on a little bit out of shape. Um, were you surprised by that? I, I wouldn't say surprised. I mean, I I think it's hard to get into football game shape um, without a preseason and without actually just repping through it. Um, I, I think we'll see better from Clowney as he kind of gets some, some more games and more practices under his belt. Um, and I, I also think it was pretty clear that he – while he's familiar with the Mike Vrabel defense, I don't think he was fully locked in on all of the defensive calls and everything that was going on. I think Vrabel, or, uh, Clowney admitted as much after the game, too, saying, you know, I, I was kind of figuring stuff out as I went out there. Um, he had a couple plays where he, you know, crashed down inside and lost contain on the edge and stuff like that. There, It looked like there was a few busts with, with maybe his, uh, his gap responsibilities and stuff like that. But um, – he was very disruptive, which is a positive. And, and you know, it, I would expect him to pick things up quickly um, from a playbook standpoint and then also from a conditioning standpoint. I, I think I think you got to be pretty happy with what you saw from Clowney. Yeah, I was, agree. He was all in the backfield, which was great to see. And, and you know, the announcers had to, uh, of course, point out, which I was pleased to see as well, Frable's using him all over the field. And it, it was it was really nice to see those braids running all over the backfield continuously, especially in the first quarter. Um, so yeah, uh, Titans have got to be happy to just get on the plane and get out of Denver after that one. Sixteen fourteen, ugly. That game is it's behind them. We forgot to talk about one thing. How stupid was Rashawn Evans for throwing a punch that early? Because we missed him. I know some people are very lukewarm on what Rashawn Evans brings to the table, but we missed Rashawn Evans bad, and he really put us behind the eight ball. Can, if I would have told you that we missed four field goals, Rashawn Evans got thrown out in like the first 10 minutes of the game, and uh, we missed an extra point on top of all of that, all the penalties that we had, you would not have expected that we would have won the game if you didn't watch it. And kudos to Mike Vrabel and this coaching staff and keeping this team focused and just persevering because that's a, that, that's a coaching, that is a coaching staff kind of win right there that takes leadership uh, on the field in the moment to pull this kind of win out especially in Denver. What'd you say? 48 and seven was their record heading into this game on at home. Mm -hmm. Give me a break that, that that's good. We had really, really good coaching last night. Yeah. And, and I gotta say there's, like I said before, there's no style points with, with NFL wins. You're not, and you're not playing, 
you know, the Broncos are not like, you know, when, when Alabama plays against Vanderbilt, right? You know, this is, this is not going to be, you know, line it up and paste them 52 to three kind of deal. Um, Broncos are a tough team. They were seven and nine last year, not too far out of the playoff race. Um, you know, and I was, I, I thought Drew Locke played pretty well for the most part last night. Um, Jerry Judy looked great, looked as advertised. I think he's going to be a star. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's definitely a good win. Any road win in the NFL is is an impressive showing, in my opinion. I mean, I, I can only hope, and especially with you know Vrabel being a player's coach and the we the way the locker room mindset has changed. I, I really hope that man got the code red of stare downs <laughs> coming into halftime. Is probably going to have some early and uncomfortable conversations with Vrabel uh, all week. So uh, let's uh, let's shift to other NFL games because I wanted to definitely touch on starting with uh, Texans Chiefs. Actually, that was the first matchup of NFL Week One. Um, th- th- this game started off a little rusty. But the Chiefs got it together really, really quick uh, and ended up just being way too much. Um, any, I don't know. Were you, were you surprised that, that the Texans just came out rusty? I, I honestly wasn't surprised because who the heck was Deshaun Watson supposed to throw it to? Yeah, I'm not too surprised that the Texans came out rusty. I think, I think I'm more surprised that they came out just looking flat out bad. Like, I, I just don't – Think I think the team played very uninspiring football, uh, and they have a murderer's row of a schedule with uh, the Steelers, the Ravens, and the Vikings. And when the Viking when they play the Vikings, they get the Vikings will have Daniel Hunter technically supposedly back. And I, I just don't see that this is going to be a team that can make it out with a winning record. If they, they make it out two and four, I'd be very surprised out of these next few games. Yeah, it was it was a rough start for the Texans. I, I thought it, it honestly kind of looked like Deshaun Watson and his wide receivers had never met each other before that game, uh, and just kind of got thrown out on the field. Like they were all over the place, and no timing, no sense of chemistry whatsoever. Um, and, and you know, it's I think it's going to be a struggle for them getting used to life without Hopkins. We saw what Hopkins did against the 49ers later in the weekend. Um, he's a stud. I mean, you get rid of a, a wide receiver like that and you try to replace him with, you know, four Brandon cooks, basically. It's like, I, I don't, I don't know what, uh, what you expect, but this is kind of what you're going to get. And um, yeah, it's, it was not a great showing for them. Obviously, it's the Chiefs. The Chiefs are the Super Bowl champions and, and the best team in the NFL. Um, so, judging them too harshly based off of getting thumped by uh, Kansas City is dangerous. But, yeah, it, it wasn't a good start for the Texans. And like Zach said, it's not going to get any easier from here. Baltimore is on deck. And uh, if the Texans drop to 0-2, uh, especially if the Titans can get to 2-0 and here, the, the Texans have quite the uphill battle to get back in the division race. Are the uh, are the Chiefs the real? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, they're they're one hundred percent the real deal. <laughs> That's going to be a problem. I think we're going to get really really tired of Patrick Mahomes really quickly. I'm, <laughs> I'm big on him. I'm a Patrick Mahomes fantasy football owner, but I'm so afraid this is going to turn into a situation where three years from now I'm going to look at him the same way I did in the Tom Brady era. Just uh, stop. 
Just, just stop it. Um, I want to move on to Colts, Jags. Uh, Philip Rivers doing Philip Rivers things. Didn't look, uh, didn't look particularly all that great out there. Um, and the Jags ended up in the second half really kind of, I don't know if dominates the word I should use, but uh, Colts didn't look good. Jags, Jags rip off the win. Jacksonville fans are all hyped up again about Minshew mania. So, oh boy, we're the Titans are going to see that team in week two. So, uh, thoughts? This was the most Philip Rivers, Philip Riversing of all time. Uh, the guy that the Colts did not punt in this football game. They didn't punt once. He he threw for 363 yards and they lost the game to the Jaguars. I mean, and he threw a crucial interception down the stretch that set up the Jaguars to win the game. It was the most on brand performance of the weekend and God bless Phillip rivers for sticking to his guns and, and being the Phillip rivers. We all know and love constantly down by seven with two minutes left to go and throwing a heartbreaking pick. I mean, it's just, it's it's crazy. Like we we knew this was going to happen. If you, if you pay attention to Philip Rivers' career, like Mike said, he's not very good. Towards the end of these crucial game-ending moments, he's always you can always count on the interception. the The offense did not look very threatening at all, especially against Jaguars defense that really doesn't have any stars. I'll, I have to say this. I picked the Jaguars to upset on the Broadway sports power rankings or pick them. And I'm not surprised. I think, I think we're writing off the ja- The Jaguars aren't good, but I don't think they're not going to try. I think there's too many players here and there across this whole roster that they're, they're tanking in the NFL just doesn't happen. Like it's not on purpose. These players do not want to spend 16 games, not playing their best or not trying because they have money on the line too. They have incentives they have to hit in their contracts. You, I just don't, it looks, I think it's more rebuilding than tanking. And I think it's a very fine line, but the way that Doug Marone has talked, this is very much like the dolphins last year where people think they're tanking, but they're going to end up walking away with like five or six games, which is good if you're a Titans fan, to be honest. I think that's a good comparison. And, and honestly, I do think Minshew is kind of good. Colts, Marlon Mack goes out with an injury. I think they only had 85. Uh, I, I don't even know if I got that correct. 85 rushing yards, but Jonathan Taylor couldn't get it done after Marlon Mack left. So just Colts not looking great. Phillip Rivers continues to look like the Phillip Rivers we know all too well. So I wanted to roll and talk about NFL crowd noise. This is something we kind of got into a little bit on on Twitter with, uh, you know, some of the other media in Nashville, uh, whether or not the, the crowd noise was distracting in the game. And, of course, obviously I'm speaking about the artificial crowd noise that uh, that the NFL studios, Fox, CBS, put into the games and then rolling into to Sunday night football and the Monday night matchups. I found the day games, and now, of course, I was watching a lot of this on Red Zone, so maybe that had a little bit of effect with the way they were switching back and forth, but I found the noise that was added by the day game broadcast to, to actually be not distracting, but it actually had the effect that I feel like they wanted, which was to make it feel like there was somewhat of a crowd in the stadium. Uh, Zach, I know obviously you had thoughts on this too. I mean, do you agree? 
Yeah, I, I thought they did a really great job. Listen, I've watched baseball. I've watched the NBA. I've watched WWE, all with some form of artificial crowd or uh, a mix of artificial crowd noise and uh, virtual fans in the stands. This, to me, was very – the way they even broadcasted it for your visual eyes as well, this, to me, was – a really, really good production. Now, I don't know if it was NBC and ESPN or and their production teams or the stadiums that these primetime games were played in, Sunday night and then uh, the mon- two Monday night games, but those were the worst games for the crowd experience, I thought. I thought it made both the Monday night games, which were very sluggish anyway, made them really, really, really a lot worse and a little bit more of a slog to get through on that Monday night. Yeah, and I, I would agree with that. I, I I really – I had times on Sunday, and I was kind of bouncing around the games on red zone and, and between the, the games that were on red zone the games that were on the other uh, channels and everything. And at times I forgot about the whole crowd thing. I, I just – you know, you would kind of hear the sounds, but you're watching the game. You're not paying that close of attention to the crowd noise. Um, I, I, it kind of just slipped my mind a few times where it's just like, uh, you know, I'm not even paying any attention. And then I think the times that you would realize it would be like, you know, when they score down and you don't get the big roar, um, you know, from the touchdown. That's the one time where I really felt like, uh, you know, this is a little bit different. And then, of course, anytime you see shots of the crowd or of the empty seats, um, that was a, a little bit disoriented, disorienting and shocking whenever you'd see that. But I don't know. It's We're six months into this thing, and, uh, you know, I think we're starting to get used to the weird Um so I, I think I think they did a pretty good job and, and I don't mind the fake crowd noise either. I, I know some people are like, Well don't don't play anything if you're gonna have to do fake crowd noise. I kinda like the fact that I can some the plays going for normal stretches, forget that there's not a crowd there and just, you know, enjoy a game. Yeah, I I feel like that ESPN and NBC in that order need to go back and watch whatever CBS and Fox did on Sunday because it was the most distracting it was to me was Monday Night Football because it just didn't sound – I don't know if that was just <clears throat> a choice by ESPN and the way that they did it, or but their crowd noise was not effective. Yeah, and I'd have to preface, I was watching a red zone, so when you're just flipping back and forth, back and forth to red zone drives, maybe that kind of enhanced and added to it to where it was just constant crowd noise. But – Either way, I, I, I think that ESPN and NBC need to take some notes from what CBS and Fox did. Um, uh, I want So Tom Brady, Cam Newton, be remiss not to go into this, right? So I do want to start with Cam Newton. Uh, what a hell of a debut by him. It was, it was pretty good. I, I watched a lot of that game, and, uh, I, you know, I thought Belichick, it kind of came through that, you know, we've long heard that Belichick wanted to tinker with a mobile quarterback and him getting uh, one of the best mobile quarterbacks of our uh, uh, generation uh, is kind of the perfect toy to play with, so to speak, and uh, and 
the the uh, Patriots ran Cam Newton a lot. There, once they got inside the red zone, especially inside the low red zone, inside the ten, they were they were going QB power, QB counter, all this stuff. It was all kinds of Cam Newton uh, running with the football. So it was uh, it was interesting to see how that kind of came to fruition. I thought I thought Cam was just okay as a as a passer in that game but um it was uh it was a fun performance to watch against a team that i think a lot of people feel like is going to be a little bit uh frisky i guess this year yeah uh cam was cam i mean that's about what you expect from cam newton in his first game back coming off all those surgeries he wasn't crisp and he doesn't have a lot of great weapons but they won the game and that's really what matters and he kind of imposed his will will on the ground so you know that's you kind of wanted to see him gain that confidence with taking hits now he's taking hits that you really don't know if long term he can take but there is a definite difference between watching a Patriots game with Cam as the quarterback and watching a Patriots game with Brady as the quarterback you you found yourself rooting just a little bit more for the Patriots to win that game wasn't it just a little unsettling just to see somebody besides 12 uh, back behind center in a Patriots uniform? But it, was, it was unsettling on both ends. It was unsettling watching Cam Newton, Newton be a Patriots quarterback and then watching Brady in a different uniform as well, like for the Buccaneers. It was so odd, very odd. It, very odd. Speaking of Brady, um, Tampa Bay head coach Bruce Arians said after the game, he looked like Tom Brady in practice all the time. So it was kind of unusual to see that in a ball game talking about Brady's performance because they didn't do things that we weren't ready for. I, <laughs> I mean, damn Arians. Do you just want to the fact that Brady looked pretty damn rusty? I want to say this about Brady, his throws. And again, this, this may be conjecture, but his throws just look, floaty like they just seem to hang in the air forever he obviously doesn't have the same zip especially the deep ball that he used to have yeah Brady uh Brady looked 43 I mean that, that, that's how he looked on Sunday and it's uh I don't know I I think Brady is gonna have better days than he did against the Saints and and you know we do have to say that the Saints are one of the best teams in the NFL and and Brady not being able to beat them in his very first game isn't necessarily a condemnation on on the whole experience experiment. But Bruce Arians backing up and throwing the bus on top of uh, Brady after one game was certainly interesting, uh, and uh, I'm interested to see kind of how that relationship goes. Because I mean, Brady taking it from Belichick is one thing. It, Taking it from Bruce Arians, I don't know. I, I don't know how uh, how well Brady's going to take that. He's a prideful guy, you know. So um, I'm interested to see how this how this thing rolls on moving forward. But yeah, Brady Brady looks like a 43 year old quarterback. He's he's not comfortable taking hits anymore. He's looking to get down as soon as pressure gets there. Um, I don't know. I, I don't I don't know that this is going to be the juggernaut everybody uh, had him chalked up to be. Uh, going from uh, Bill Belichick, who doesn't really talk, to Bruce Arians, who probably talks too much, is going to be wild to watch all season with his interactions with Brady. 
feel so all right are the two of you ready to take a victory lap yet on titans fans who were big mad for brady not coming to town i'm i'm about ready to load that float up uh i'm not ready yet because as soon as i said something on twitter uh there goes brady throwing a touchdown i mean like as soon as i sent it and I, I think that it's too early to give up on this Buccaneers team as some kind of contenders just because, again, no preseason, new team, new kind of offense, all this stuff. It will take a little time for it to sync up, and you saw that him and Mike Evans had a little hard time getting together on the same page, and then uh, all of a sudden they did. It, it will pr- Listen, it's Tom Brady. It will all work out for beautiful baby boy Tom. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not. I'm not ready to launch the floats just yet, but I am starting to decorate them a little bit, and uh, we're we're, uh, we're ready for the victory parade. Starting to add a few multicolored streamers. We're getting oh. them ready. Yeah, I know what you mean. Poor Mike <laughs> Evans. I think that man probably goes to church every Sunday and just asks God, "Can I just get a quarterback who just consistently throws to me?" That's all I wanted. I'm a good wide receiver. I've done what you asked. So <laughs> I do want to touch on one more thing before we transition to week two. Uh, Baker Mayfield. I don't even know what to say. Ryan Clark comes out on first take and says, quote, he's just not that talented. That's tough. That's tough. It's tough, but it's true. It is 100% true. I, I think Baker's broke. There is something wrong in, in his brain. He's got the yips. This is a simpler offense, and he's still panicking if his first read is covered up or even not remotely perfect. This is not a good start. I don't know if it gets better. And if it continues to stay the same, the status quo, Odell Beckham's going to have something to say. Jarvis Landry will also have something to say. People want to say Odell's a diva. Jarvis Landry's a pretty big diva, too. So I am, this is not going to be a uh, great locker room for the long haul. I am so here for the four-alarm tire fire uh, that will happen in the Browns locker room if Mayfield continues to go off the rails. I am so here for it. Those personalities could not be any more fun to watch, just pick each other apart. I agree. I, I know this is unfair to the city of Cleveland, but the national media spent so long in the offseason between 18 and 19 of awarding them the North the AFC championship, Super Bowl appearances. I am so ready to see that tire fire come rumbling down, exactly like you said, with all of those personalities in the locker room and all of the diva tendencies that are going to come out. I'm sorry. I'm kind of reveling in it a little bit, but it just, I, I don't enjoy seeing Mayfield play terrible, but man, the, the man looks broken. <laughs> Once that confidence goes, it's hard to get it back. Uh, okay, so it's NFL Week Two, Jacksonville uh, at Tennessee. Is the, has Henry already circled this game on the calendar? I know that's a cliche that the media loves to use, but I mean Henry has to be looking at that one and circled it with a red, big red marker, right? Yeah, well, this will definitely be a bounce back game for anything that you saw happen this last week. It is a short week, and they will. It's it's a short week. I mean. Monday night game and then you come home and you probably don't don't get here till the sun's almost rising up and you give everybody the day off of course and then you come back and do the film study and everything like that so they're going to be a little bit behind you don't 
I'm not confident that we'll see Vic Beasley again this week or we'll see Derek Roberson, but maybe. But at least – and we, we're still going to be without a Dory Jackson, which we haven't really even touched on that Dory Jackson is – some is something's wrong with his uh, – is it knee or hamstring? Knee. Knee. That it caused him to go on IR, but he should be back week four. This isn't a vaunted Jaguars offense that we would have to have a Dory Jackson, but I'd feel much better after, after seeing what we went through this past week. I do feel a lot better with rolling out Christian Fulton, uh, Jonathan Joseph, and Chris Jackson and Malcolm Butler versus this Jaguars team, and especially against this, these running backs that nobody knows. But Derrick Henry is going to get back on track this week. I think this whole offense will look a whole lot better, and this whole team will look a whole lot better. Not as confident as Steven Kostowski, but so hopefully we don't have to be in a slugfest with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Listen, I'll, I'll tell you, the, the best thing that happened to the Titans, one, besides obviously beating Denver, was Jacksonville beating the Colts. Not, not only does it knock the Colts down, who most people expected to challenge for the division title, um, but the Jaguars being 1-0 and and humbling a team that, they were, that the Titans were expecting to compete with for the division title in week one, it makes this way less of a trap game to me. I mean, Rabel can sit there and put it on the tape and say, look, the Colts thought they were going to come out and walk through this game and look what happened to them. Um, I think he's going to he, – you're, you're not going to get a Titans team that's going to fall asleep and think this is an easy W because it's the Jaguars. I think the Jaguars winning helps the Titans tremendously from a preparation standpoint. And, um, you know, obviously – you know, Derrick Henry's had massive success against uh, Jacksonville uh, in the past. This Jacksonville defense, I'm not a believer in it. I know they played okay against the the Colts in week one, but the Colts put up crazy yardage. Like, they move the ball without a problem. It's just, you know, two fourth down uh, stops and two Phillip Rivers interceptions that kind of uh, – uh, kept the Colts from uh, putting up big numbers on the scoreboard. But I think you want to see the Titans offense come and really get on track in this game. I mean, they, they sputtered and kind of kicked and started against Denver. Uh, you really want to see them take advantage of a susceptible uh, Jaguars defense and, and maybe get uh, a few long runs for me and, and A.J. Brown on track. No, I agree. I mean, I think I think this is shaping up to be it's got to be something Jacksonville to worry about because if you're Jacksonville watching that Monday night game, the Titans passing game is going to want to get going. Henry cannot be satisfied with that running performance, even though he hit hundred plus yards, there are multiple you know, facets of the Titans team that is going to want to come out and smash someone in the mouth in week two. So I agree. It's looking less like a trap game and potentially, and I'll say this lightly, potentially a game that Jacksonville is going to have a big, big problem. So specifically on the defensive end, do you expect Clowney to have another good game? I don't see how he doesn't, to be honest with you. I mean, I think getting his feet wet in the defense, getting that first taste of the some NFL action that he hasn't had in a while, then a, another week of uh, practice. I mean, he looked pretty good against a 
okay Denver offensive line and the Jaguars offensive line is not very good. And I, I think they'll cause a little bit more problems and he's a lot quicker than say like Justin Houston and those, uh, this other uh, defensive lineman from the Colts. So I think that it's going to give Minshew a little bit more problem than uh, is basically what we saw last night, but maybe he gets there a little bit quicker. Yeah, I think the hope would certainly be that, you know, not playing at altitude, not playing in the middle of the night, uh, you know, at zero dark 30 would be helpful uh, for the Titans in general, um, honestly, but obviously with Clowney and, and with that defensive run, I, I thought Landry actually um, had a few really impressive moments in that uh, Monday night game as well. So I, I think, you know, hopefully you see Vic Beasley get on the field uh, this week. You, you see maybe Roberson, um, but it would be really nice to get Beasley out there just from the sense of I, I want to see a package with Beasley, Landry, field together. I, I just think that that's going to be the Titans' go-to pass rush package, and I want to see that kind of come together against Jacksonville. I think I think they need it. You got to heat up Minshew and and force him into mis- some mistakes. I mean, he's if you give him time to sit back there and kind of float around in the pocket, he, he's kind of got a, a little bit of a, a Tony Romo ish. Uh, aspect to his game that he'll just sit there and make plays on you if you if you give him all the time in the world. But um, yeah, I, th- I think suspect Jacksonville offensive line, good Titans pass rush in theory should should uh, make for some some fun times uh, for the Titans uh, defense on Sunday. Does Henry rip off a nice little nasty run to drive it in against Jacksonville for I don't know the upteenth time? I think so. Yeah, I think I think it's coming. I mean, in in the Jaguars, you've been able to feel them quit against the Titans uh, in recent matchups. You, you can just feel that moment coming where they're like, "All right, we're out." And then that's usually right when Henry just steps on the throat and takes it, you know, eighty yards for a touchdown. So I think we probably get another moment like that. All right, week two, Jacksonville at Tennessee. That is noon central on CBS. Uh, Titans finally get their first home opponent of the year. Uh, and gentlemen, that's going to do it for us. Really appreciate you all tuning in. As always, football, another F word, a part of broadwaysportsmedia.com, currently running a special 30% off promo code KICKOFF30. That is KICKOFF30. For Mike Herndon, Mike Miracles, for Zach and myself, Mitchell Lebowski, you have been after. A Broadway Sports Media Production.